I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the John Clay Podcast. I'm John Clay, sports columnist with the Lexington Arrow Leader and Kentucky.com. we got a good show for you today. We're going to preview the Kentucky-Notre Dame basketball game Saturday at Rupp Arena. It is a noon tip-off on CBS. CBS has the telecast. Kentucky comes into the game, of course, 1-3, having lost to Richmond, Kansas, and Georgia Tech, so they're on a three-game losing skid. Notre Dame is 1-2. and two. They opened this season with a loss to Michigan State. They beat Detroit Mercy, and then they lost the other night to Ohio State in a close game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. To help us preview the game, I talked to Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune. He's going to give us a scouting report on Notre Dame. And for Kentucky, I talked with Derek Terry about Kentucky's problems. Derek works for the Cats Paws. Uh, we talked about Kentucky's problems, how they can get, uh, get back uh, on the winning side coming into the game on Saturday. Before we get started, I want to thank everybody who supports our work at the Lexington Herald Leader and Kentucky.com and remind you, you can get a sports pass, which is a sports-only subscription to Kentucky.com. You get all of our UK basketball coverage with Jerry Tipton, our football coverage with Josh Moore, UK recruiting with Ben Roberts, high school coverage with Jerry Peck. You get the columns by Mark Story and myself. $30 for the first year. Go to Kentucky.com, hit on the subscribe button and Check out all the subscription offers at Kentucky.com. Okay, so let's not waste any more time. Let's get right to it. First with Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune and then Derek Terry of the Cat Spas. Okay, my guest on the podcast is Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune, who covers Notre Dame athletics and Notre Dame basketball. Kentucky and Notre Dame, of course, meet on Saturday uh, at, at Rupp Arena. How are you doing today, Tom? Doing great. Great to be with you. Thanks for being thanks for being on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Uh, Notre Dame. Uh, what what were the? Let's start off with the expectations. What were the expectations for Notre Dame going into uh, going into the season? Notre Dame has not gone to the NCAA tournament for the last three years, and any expectation you wanted to see from this Notre Dame men's basketball team can be found just by looking at who they're playing Saturday. The fact that they, that Mike Bray chased a non-conference game against Kentucky. Like if they had gone to a, not gone to the NCAA tournament the last three years, they had kind of a team where you didn't know who was coming back, who was going to do what, how the pieces were going to fit. There's no way Mike Bray picks up the phone and calls Cal and says, hey, how about let's start a three-game series uh, and, and we'll play it. We'll go to Rupp this year. Now this was before they, they knew they weren't going to have many fans there. But if Mike Bray really likes his basketball team, he's going to go chase a non-conference game like this. And he definitely believes that with this junior class, the same junior class that finished 3-15 and and last place in the ACC two years ago, he believes this junior class is ready to make a run and really, really ready to be the cornerstone of this program for the next couple of years. So the expectation level, maybe on the outside, 
Notre Dame's going to finish in the bottom half of the ACC. They're not going to the NCAA tournament. They're going to struggle. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But Mike Bray's like, look, we're going for it. Let's go play Kentucky. So how have they done so far? I know they're off to a one and two start, but they played obviously two really good teams starting out. How have they played so far? Improving. Like it was a tough ask for this team to go to Michigan State, even though there were no fans, to play against a Michigan State team that I think people kind of undervalued and underestimated. They were ranked 13, 14 to start the season. They're up to four. They may be one of the best teams in the country that Notre Dame plays this year. So it was disappointing to watch them fall into a 28-point hole the way they did against the Spartans, but Michigan State's going to do that to a lot of people. It was very encouraging to see this team play against Ohio State the other night where at one point they were up 11 with 14 minutes to play. But the depth, the size, the length, and the athleticism of Ohio State, where they kind of figured out, look, they don't really, Notre Dame really doesn't have a, 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 a consistent inside presence. Let they, let's get the ball inside. Let's get to our sweet spots around the lane. And they scored 56 points in the second half. So even though they walk out of there with a 90-85 loss, Mike Bray believes that was something to build on against a team that was ranked 22nd in the country. Yeah, I watched that game, and yeah, they were very competitive. Could have won that. Could have easily, easily won that game. Had a little foul trouble, I know. I think one of their guys fouled out, uh, and I'm sure that hurt them. Uh, but yeah, look, yeah, watching. I was kind of like uh, you before the year heard things. Well, Notre Dame's not going to be that good, but after watching them mm-hmm. against Ohio State, they certainly look like a very capable team. The the compete level was raised, and I think that's what really? Mike Bray wanted to see. That's what I wanted to see. Like. They never really had a chance. Uh, Michigan State hit them with a like a 28 nothing, twenty six nothing run in East Lansing that night. The Notre Dame just kind of folded. The other night against Ohio State, when Notre Dame was up eleven, like it was a game of real wild swings where they're up five, they're down five, they're up seven, they're down three. They came back and they competed. And these guys in the locker room after afterward were very disappointed that they didn't get that one. I think last year, maybe the year before, they would have been happy with. Hey, we just we scored 85 points against the number 22 team in the country. That's something that, that's something that we could feel good about. But they they believe they should have won that game. And moving forward with the schedule that they have, they believe they can have some success with some of the teams that are coming up. So, so who are some guys to watch on the Irish for Kentucky fans to look for on Saturday? It all starts with their perimeter. Like if you like guard play, they've got three star or they've got three guards and starters: Prentice Hub, Dane Goodwin, and Cormac Ryan who basically never leave the floor. Like they, they go out for the jump ball, and they ne- they don't come out until the final whistle. All three of those guys are playing 38 minutes a game. It starts with Prentice Hub. Like last year, even as a freshman, you know, Mike Bray went to Prentice Hub when the Kansas City Chiefs were making their run to the Super Bowl in the NFL, and he went to Prentice Hub and said, look, you're my Patrick Mahomes. You're the guy that, you're the guy that makes everything run. This is your team. Here are the keys. Just go with it. He's a leading scorer at 22 points a game, leading assist guy, rebounding, making shots. And the one thing that, that, that Kentucky fans are going to love about Prentice Hub is he's not afraid of the moment. Like, he plays his best games against the top teams and plays his best games away from Purcell Pavilion. Like, he loves going on the road in the Carrier Dome or uh, to, to Cameron Indoor Stadium or the Smith Center in Chapel Hill. So uh, going to Rupp Arena and playing in front of a, I know, a select few crowd, that's not going to bother Prentice Hub. And you just love his swagger as uh, the guys, Dane Goodwin, Nate Lashevsky, Cormac Ryan, they feed off Prentice Hub and his energy that he brings. 
What about uh, what about those other guys besides Hubs? You talk about uh, Goodwin, Lutsesky, and those guys. How have they been? The other the other three starters, Nate Lutsesky, Dane Goodwin, Cormac Ryan, have been really good, really solid. Cormac Ryan's a transfer from Stanford. He scored 15 points the other night in the first half against Ohio State, but kind of wore down in the second. It's an adjustment for him playing as many minutes as he's playing, sitting out last season. Now he's playing 37 minutes a game, averaging 13 and a half. So he's, they're getting a lot of good production from Cormac Ryan. And then also Nate Lashevsky, power forward, who kind of moves into the John Mooney role. John Mooney last season led the nation in double-doubles for points and rebounds with like 26. So Nate Lashevsky moves into John Mooney's role. He's averaging 15 points and about 10 rebounds. So he's right there. Four starters, I believe Mike Bray is really happy with at this point, but they really need to get something more out of their other big man in Jawan Durham. Uh, Connecticut transfer, sat out his first season. This is his fourth year now in the program, and Mike Bray has said of the last two games against Detroit Mercy and Ohio State, there's no reason for Jawan Durham not to average at least 10 points a game. Like He can get us 10 points. We need those 10 points from him. Right now, he's averaging 7-7, seven and seven, fouled out against Ohio State, really still trying to find his role. Like last season, he wasn't happy the fact that John Mooney got most of the attention, got most of the most of the rebounds. Mike Bray went to him in the offseason and said, look, John Mooney's playing in Australia right now. He's not coming back. You've got to be the main low-post guy. And I think it's been kind of a struggle for him the first three games in. He's really got to deliver against the size and length that he's going to see Saturday against Kentucky. Uh, what about a bench? Does Mike have much of a bench, <laughs> or does he rely pretty much on his starters? No bench. No bench. No bench to speak <laughs> That's of. what I thought. Like they've, they've, been, they've been hurt. They've, they've had kind of a weird injury situation going on here the last couple of years. They're, they only carry seven scholarship players. Wow. They may get an eighth. They may get an eighth back on Saturday in Nick Jogo, a fifth-year senior, who turned his ankle literally in the first ten seconds that he played at Michigan State, kind of fought through that to play 15 minutes. But Nick Jogo's a, a, a guard who's been out the last two games. He may be back on Saturday, but they've got two other guys that are still down with injuries. They've got a, 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 a transfer from Santa Clara in Trey Wurtz, who's kind of waiting to hear from the NCAA whether or not they'll rule all transfers eligible. If, if he's eligible, that'll help. But Mike Bray likes to operate with a short bench that usually doesn't go any deeper than, than seven, maybe eight, but rarely is he going to go eight. And especially when you go to an atmosphere like Rupp Arena, he's going to ride those five starters for about 35 minutes a game if he can help it. Wow. When I think about a Mike Bray team over the years, I think about a team that's maybe not overly athletic, but a smart team with good shooters mm-hmm. and a scrappy team. Is this that sort of team? Yeah, I mean, we saw that the other night really for the first time against Ohio State because Mike Bray, Notre Dame is starting with two power forwards in Nate Lashevsky and Jawan Durham, as we talked about. But I think Notre Dame is best, and Mike Bray believes his program is at its best, when they take that one power forward out. And in most cases this season, it's been Jawan Durham because he's, he's found himself in constant foul trouble. They take one power forward out. They put in another guard. In this case, it would be freshman Tony Sanders. They like to play the way Mike Bray says. They like to downshift, go four around one, four perimeter guys over around one big guy. That really opens the floor. It keeps the ball moving. It, it keeps them going up, getting, getting up and down. And we saw that the other night where they scored 85 points against Ohio State. So it, it's more of let's play small, let's play smart, and let's play with a group of guys that know how to play together. 
though for those 37, 38 minutes that that core group is together on the floor. Wow. So what uh, what are the keys for Notre Dame on Saturday? What's what what do they have to do to come in uh, to Rupp, even against as you mentioned a smaller crowd, but to beat to beat a Kentucky team that's struggling right now? Believe, like believe that they can go in there and compete, not just be happy. I think. I think when it got tough at Breslin Center against Michigan State a couple of weeks ago, they kind of dropped their heads, and it was like, ah, here we go again, typical Notre Dame. They have lost now, John, 23 consecutive games against ranked teams. They have not beat a ranked team since November of 2017, and that's when Mike Gray took his shirt off and put a lay on and danced around the locker room after they beat Wichita State in the Maui Classic to win the Maui Invitational. So it's been a while for this team to go into a place and believe that they can get a win and not be spooked by Kentucky's length. Like, this will be the third straight, the third team this year, Michigan State first, then Ohio State, where they've played long and athletic guys. Michigan State blocked 10 shots in the first half that first time out because Noreen wasn't used to that length. Ohio State didn't block any the other night, so... Really? Play smart, play together, and, and weather the the run. Like you know, a run is coming against Kentucky in that building. If they can weather it and shoot it and move it, pass it the way they did, and take care of it the way they did the other night, I think they might. And I stress Mike, but I think they might have a chance of getting out of Rupp Arena with their first ever win. Yeah, well, uh, well, you know, I'm I'm so old. I remember when Kentucky Notre Dame used to be <laughs> an annual game when they used to play at a Freedom Hall. Uh, I think it's great when the two schools get together and play. I'm glad to see them back with a contract of playing here the next couple of years. So it should be an interesting game on Saturday. That's for sure. Uh, Tom, tell the listeners how they can follow your work of leading up to the game on Saturday and afterwards. Everything uh, Notre Dame basketball-wise, even Notre Dame football-wise. Like, I'm jumping between basketball and hoops right now. <laughs> Luckily, football's off this weekend, so I'm able to hop in the car and go to Lexington. But okay. everything Notre Dame-related you want is on ndinsider.com. And then also follow me on Twitter at T-Noy, NDI. We'll give you Notre Dame men's basketball, Notre Dame football, a little Notre Dame women's basketball if, if that program ever starts getting rolling again under BLI. So all you want Notre Dame-related ND Insider is your place to find it. Well, be sure and check that out. Tom does a great job. And, Tom, we really appreciate you being on the podcast. You got it, John. Take care. Okay, my thanks to Tom. Really appreciate him being on the podcast. And we'll be right back with Derek Terry of the Cat Spas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Okay, my guest now is Derek Terry, my friend, fellow Jason Isbell fan, fellow Cincinnati Reds fan, uh, and other things. Derek uh, works for the Cat's Paws, does a great job at the Cat's Paws. How are you doing today, Derek? 
Doing well, John. I was actually listening to Little Jason as well earlier. You did? Before you called. So, yeah. What were you listening so, to? Uh, well, I got my Spotify report last week, and oh. it said that my uh, number one most listened to song was It Gets Easier this year, which actually kind of surprised me. Really? But, because uh, I don't know if it was even my favorite song off that album. But, it's no, I've been, yeah, I've been doing pretty good. Uh, mostly staying in like everybody else this yeah. time of year. So, yeah. covering oh, yeah. some hoops and football. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird year. There's no doubt about it. Uh, we're going to talk basketball. Uh, might talk a little football here at the end, but Kentucky plays. Uh, uh, hold on. Kentucky plays uh, Notre Dame on uh, on Saturday. Uh, my computer here wants to try to uh, update on me. I got to make sure that push that put that off. Okay, we got that thing here. Kentucky Notre Dame play on uh, Saturday. Uh, it's a noon start. Kentucky off to a bad start. One and three. Derek Terry, I'm going to ask you the question. Everyone's asking, what's wrong with the Cats? Well, I guess the easiest number to look at right now, and it was a huge problem uh, against Georgia Tech, is the turnovers. Uh, running the numbers the other night, the only guy on the team, uh, I think you had a positive turnover, uh, assist to turnover ratio is Davion Mintz. So every other guy's really struggling in that area. Cal talked about it pretty much first thing. I mean, they had 21 turnovers against Georgia Tech, and that led to 33 points. And, uh, you know, you're just not going to be able to beat teams doing that. And then, in a couple of those other games, just the three-point shooting was just terrible. Uh, Richmond, they went 0 for 10. Second time in the Calipari era, they hadn't made a three. And I don't know, it was, what, the 1980s, I think, before that, yeah. when they uh, had missed a three. And then against uh, Kansas, slightly better. They went three for 21, I think, that game, something like that. So it was a little right. bit better, but not really enough not to help much. them win. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, shot the ball better against Georgia Tech, but uh, from three. Yeah. But as you say, when you're turning the ball over that many times, it limits the number of positions you get, and the number of shots shots that you get. Let's go back to point guard. Uh, I've talked about this. Uh, we talked about this on the podcast last week with John Hale. Who did you think would be the before the season started? Who did you think would be the point guard? Are you surprised that it's uh, that Askew has been the guy starting instead of Mintz? Before the season. Up until Cal had – he had that one press conference in the preseason where he kind of read off some of the stats, and it sounded like Askew was doing really well. That's whenever I kind of thought he would be the guy. But up until that, I thought it would be Davion Mintz. But I have found it a little bit surprising given how how much Askew just seemed to struggle out there. I mean, he's played the third most minutes on the team. And, I mean, especially against Georgia Tech, it was kind of a lot of empty – I mean, he just played 27 minutes, and I think he only scored two points, had one assist, one steal, I think, maybe one rebound. Just he wasn't doing a whole lot, really, in his time out there. And I thought against Kansas, he really just seemed a little overwhelmed, I thought. Picked up his dribble quite a bit, out 25 feet or so from the basket. I thought the offense was having a hard time in the half court getting set up with him leading it. So I kind of thought that Cal would go to Mintz more in that game. And as the time has gone on, the the splits have been a little bit closer. Like I think last game, they more or less played the same exact amount of minute, number of minutes. Um, But yeah, he's a young guy, of course, he reclassified, uh, Askew that is. I I just figure that Cal views him as long-term as the best option for this team. And that's why he's willing to go through the struggles right now. But I kind of think uh, when you get off to a one and three start, Cal's on the really balance trying to get some wins now uh, versus trying to prepare for the future. I mean, most years he has the luxury of having some tune-up games or whatnot, and he can kind of go through and work out some of those kinks. But this year, it's, that's not really been the case. No, 
No. And didn't he say what game was it where he said that they made a mistake on the bench? They thought Mintz had two fouls when he only had one, or they would have put him back in the game. Yeah. Which is yeah, kind of, I think of it's kind of a crazy mistake to make for <laughs> to, to not is, know. Yeah. yeah, I mean that was against Richmond, and that was I think that was the most lopsided of the minutes were. I think Ashley yeah. played thirty-five that day, and just ten for Mads. Yeah. Uh, what about the what about the two the two freshmen who uh, I think probably gotten the most attention, except for Isaiah Jackson. We'll get to him for a minute. But uh, Boston and Clark, how do you feel like they played? You know, I came into the year. I mean, I kind of have the egg on my face right now because I picked them to go 23 and four in the regular season. So they're going to have to really run this thing uh, the rest of the year to get to that. Yeah, so, kind of uh, thin but, margin there. They're going to have to yeah, go out. Yeah, they'll have to go, what, 20 and one the rest of the way? 20 and one. Yeah. I, I don't there feel good about go. that. <laughs> uh, but the reason why I had them that well is because reading a lot of the mock drafts, I'd actually watched a few Brandon Boston games last year. I, I thought he was going to be kind of the, not necessarily. Yeah, Anthony Davis type, but just more of the elite variety that they had had, maybe more so in the Cal early days. And so far, I don't think he's necessarily been that. He's had a couple of good games here and there. It was good to see him start to knock down some threes last game, but I thought I thought he's probably been the biggest culprit to this point in the season and just taking four shots, bad shots. Uh, Clark has started to do some good things. Uh, I like the way he can get to the rim. Uh, his shot, I think his shot actually looks, his form and everything looks pretty good. I know he's not really billed as a shooter at all. I, I don't worry about those two as much going forward because I think they'll settle in and get it going. But um, those two certainly have to, those two and then Olivier Saar really have to, I think, carry this team offensively. And part of the reason that they're, I think they're one and three is just because those guys haven't really – I think I think they have better days ahead, basically, more so than what they've shown so far. Uh, what do you think about Sar? I mean, is it just he's feeling his way? I know he's gotten into some foul trouble. Of course, if you're turning the ball over, it's hard to get the ball to the guys you need to get, to get it to. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. He's uh, he's more or less shown that he can be about an automatic bucket whenever yeah. they can get him the ball in the post. But uh, defensively, he's really struggling. And, of course, the foul trouble. I mean, that had been a problem for him back at Wake Forest and – uh, obviously, after that Kansas game, Cal was really upset with one of the fouls that he committed on a fast break, more or less. He uh, yeah. caused his fourth foul with quite a bit of time to go. But I, I don't know. I mean, defensively, he's he's had a hard time. But I just think for his offense, when they're, they're struggling as bad as they are, you're going to need him on the floor. But hopefully he'll uh, figure it out as the season goes on. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be uh, the consensus is that Isaiah Jackson has been the – has been the bright spot so far, especially on the defensive end with his block shots and rebounds. Uh, has he surprised you at all, or did you think he had the cap- capability of uh, doing what he's done so far? If you would have told me that in May or June or whatever, it would have surprised me. But once uh, once some of those reports started coming out in the preseason that I mean, he was just kind of a freak in practice, uh, it's not necessarily surprising me too. I mean, I have an eight block since Kansas or whatever it was. I mean, that's, that's an impressive mark. He's uh, maybe not the best on ball defender right now. I think, uh, uh, I think his name was Moses, Wright At Georgia tech yeah. kind of really took it to him the other day, but uh, mm-hmm. his length, I mean, blocking shots, he's one of those guys. And I know UK fans are probably tired of hearing it right now about the NBA, but he's kind of that guy that if he just accepts his role as a defender and as a rebounder in the NBA, I mean, I could see him playing 15 years in the league just with his anticipation blocking shots and yeah. his length. I think he's going to be a really good player. I don't know if at UK we'll see the best of his offensive ability or not. I think that's going to come years down the road. 
But he, he has been, I think, altogether, I think he's probably been their best player to this point. Uh, anything else uh, stick out to you uh, to this point going into this game? I mean, from way, from the way the team has played so far? I mean, I just think they got to, you know, winning on the turnovers. It's Camp Cal or whatever. And he tweeted <laughs> out turn- the other day that they wanted to focus on the toughness and the turnovers. And, uh, yeah. you know, I'm sure the toughness had to do with just kind of got bullied by yeah. Georgia Tech the other day. But, you know, Cal's got his work cut out for him this year. That's for sure. I was telling you before we got on here, I mean, he, he says it's a no-excuse program. And I think he probably believes that in his mind. But then when he's complaining about how tough the schedule is, I mean, up to this point in the season – it's not going to get any easier. I mean, I know they want to play that Detroit game at some point, but Notre Dame is, I mean, not really a top team in the college basketball uh, hierarchy or anything, but right. still uh, they've shown this year, though, if they don't play well, I mean, they can certainly lose that game. And then you got UCLA and Louisville to close out this month before SEC play. So, I mean, they've got to get it turned around in a hurry. Right. And they, and as we were talking before we got they lost to a Georgia Tech team that was 0-2, and they lost to yeah. Georgia State and Mercer. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, uh, he had talked about how hard the schedule was and how it wasn't fair to the kids, but I think at Kentucky, I mean, yeah. there's nothing in the rule book that says that he has to have 10 new guys every single year. Yeah. So I feel like he kind of puts it on himself. And in a year like this, I mean, you can't really foresee a global pandemic. I understand uh, that, but uh, it's a tough year to have 10 new guys. And of course, Keon's not played either. And we don't really know when he'll be back, maybe a few more weeks or maybe two more months. So, I mean, at this point, yeah, it's kind of hard to know. Yeah. Who knows? They uh, seem to keep pushing it back every time it's two or three weeks. And then after a week or so, it's going to be another two <laughs> or three weeks. So yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if ever there was a year where Cal needed a couple of exhibition games and a couple of bunny games to kind of get things straightened out to get a feel for what he has. This was a year and that, you know, that hasn't happened, but uh, I've been really, even with, even with all that, I've been surprised just at the way offensively, just the turnovers, they just look out of sync. They don't have any rhythm to them at all. I think John Hale and I were talking on the podcast last week. I think part of their problem on the threes is they're the offense is just so disjointed. They're not getting like, threes out of rhythm you know in the rhythm of the offense because the offense doesn't have any rhythm and I don't know can you turn how long is it going to take for them to turn that around yeah I mean I uh I don't watch a ton of college hoops but I was home the other night and I was watching uh, Iowa and North Carolina and then I watched a little bit of Duke and Illinois and just I, I mean for those teams I know Duke's kind of the topic as well because they're off to a similar start to Kentucky but these teams and the offenses that they run and just how easy yeah. they can get buckets right. compared to watching UK. I mean, yeah. it's uh UK has got a really long way to go. If yeah. uh, they're going to be one of those teams that if they're going to be as good as I thought they'd be, I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to reach that now, but uh, you I know, a lot confident. of work to do this year. I, I have confidence that Cal's telling them, you know, we got to win 20 out of 21 or Derek <laughs> Terry is we're going to make Derek Terry look really bad. So we got to yeah. get on the stick here. I'm, I'm going to have to be a little bit more uh, conservative, I think, next year, <laughs> unless they are uh, unless they turn it around and they get five or six of these guys back. But I think I've learned my lesson on picking them to make a Final Four uh, with 10 new guys in a pandemic here. Well, I think if you looked – I mean, if you looked at the schedule before, I mean, right now you'd think they'd be at least three and one. I mean, that you know, yeah. they would beat Richmond at home, although Richmond is a good team, and certainly that they would beat Georgia Tech. So, And I know Cal scheduled that game in Atlanta – thinking, you know, could there'll be a ton of Kentucky fans right. here and there were no fans, but still, you know, still, I don't know. He was helping out his, uh, was helping out his buddy, Josh right. Bachner. That's uh, right. Get, get a win down there. So that'd be good. That's First right. assistant to ever beat him. So I know. Good for Pastner. I'd sort of yeah. forgotten that until people were tweeting that, 
late in the game or after the game. I'd sort of forgotten that Cal had that had that mastery over his assistants. Uh, well, well, John, I also wanted to run it by you. You uh, you weren't a fan of Mark Teixeira uh, being on the. <laughs> I was not, on the TV broadcast. Nothing against no. Mark Teixeira. I'm sure he's a nice guy. I'm sure he's a great guy. I'm just a little tired of ESPN's habit of uh, of talking about everything but the game you're trying to watch and splitting the screen so they can have you know Mark Teixeira on or or Carolyn Peck. I watched some of that Texas Villanova game. I forgot to even mention that in my column where they were talking to her for like 10 minutes. I'm sure Villanova fans were uh, talking about Texas for 10 minutes. I'm sure they were thrilled about that. So, no, I'm not I mean, a big who, fan. Who in the Mark Teixeira fan club is just showing up on a Sunday, on an NFL <laughs> Sunday to to listen to him talk <laughs> during a basketball game? I mean, I don't know. That, that's a very good question. I don't know what the analytics are showing him on that, that what the research <laughs> is showing him that somebody that Mark Teixeira – People will tune in. Oh, hey, Mark Desher is going to be on. So, uh, but anyway, no, no, I'm not a big fan of that. And Bill Walton, I thought, was just uh, yeah, during the Maui. I tried to watch some of the Maui, but it was almost unwatchable with Bill Walton on there. But anyway, that's just my personal opinion. Uh, that reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you don't seem to be a fan. I'm not a fan of the way ESPN is doing basketball. You don't seem to be a fan of the officiating so far in the college basketball you've watched. No, I've been been hitting the hammer on this for a few years. I think uh, between – so, obviously, I mean, my job is dependent on people deeply caring about college basketball. I certainly don't want to skew anybody else's opinion. But that, that tweet, uh, tweet the other day came after uh, just a horrible charge call against Illinois. But, I mean, you could watch that game, but it's it's every game, really. There's And I get – my father's an official, so I try oh. not – which it's different. He's a high school official. I mean, those guys are just – normal people who work normal jobs and then go, you know, call games or whatever in the community. Whereas these guys, I know they're not necessarily full time in college, but you know, they work a lot of games and I never think it's a good thing if you know the names of the officials. And I mean, you got TV, Teddy Valentine, guys like that in college basketball. And I can't remember who made that call the other night, but it's a problem. I wish that they would really try to address it. I mean, maybe make those guys full time. Maybe now's not the time. I don't know what the, money situation is for the NCAA. I'm sure it's not very good right now, but right. yeah, it's, it's tough to watch. I wish that they could fix it a little bit because it's, there can be some really tough games to watch in college. And I had people tweeting at me saying that the NBA is worse. Maybe it is. I don't watch enough NBA to know that for sure. Uh, I have a hard time though thinking that a professional league is as poorly <laughs> officiated as college basketball is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. Uh okay, dear, before I let you go, I gotta ask you a football question. Who's the offensive who's the new offensive coordinator gonna be? Wish I knew. I mean uh <laughs> We all do. Stoop said it Stoop said he's gonna be playing it close to the vest and his credit. And I mean I don't think there have been many leaks. Um I bet you had a really interesting name on your list, uh Shane Waldron of the Rams. He was somebody who has interviewed for other jobs. I mean, the, the Bengals job a couple of years back, he right. was, uh, I think, a considered a finalist for the LSU job last year. So he sounds like someone who is willing to make a move right. if it happens. Uh, I, I think Stoops, if he does go that route, I think it's kind of a an easy sell to recruits. And also, yeah. I mean, you would think a guy with that kind of background could certainly come in and help fix the offensive scheme to throw the ball. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it was hard for me to think. I thought the college route may be a guy like Kel Gundy, but it's a bit of a risk um, for a guy who's never called plays, uh, especially whenever Stoops is at a point that, you know, he's eight years in, going to be nine years next year. And, you know, they got to fix this offense. I mean, this is a really important hire for him. So I believe him when he says he wants to take his time and, and get this right. Yeah. 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 I think, I think Waldron, you know, he's an interesting name. Uh, and I think that, 
uh, one thing I think that uh, might appeal to Mark, uh, if he does go in, in that direction, uh, is the offense that the Rams run. I mean, people think I know he's a pass game coordinator, and people think of Sean McVay and throwing the ball, but they're really a run. They're a run foundation offense. They run a lot of and they run a lot of play action off the run. That's where most of their passing comes from, and it just kind of you know what we've known of Mark over the years. I mean, he still wants to have that run game. He just wants to. Be, oh, yeah. I think he's come to the realization you just can't rely on the run all the time. You've got to be able to throw the ball. So, you know, who knows? And that, and part of what I wrote the other day was based, like you said, at what Joe Brady did at LSU. And then when uh, Brady left, uh, Waldron was, yeah, he was a finalist for the, he didn't end up getting the job, but he was a finalist for the job interview for that job. And then Mark hasn't, you know, as we know on the defensive side, uh, Brad White, his defensive coordinator, has NFL had NFL experience. Matt House before that had NFL experience. So uh, we'll see. That doesn't mean he, that's we don't for sure that's the direction he's going to go. But I thought in the press conference the day that they announced that you know the uh, parting way parting ways with the Henshaw and uh, Grant, he was asked about NFL and he didn't he didn't shoot it down. He said that was an option. So we'll see we'll see how that plays out. Well, as you and I both hope, it's just over soon. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd like to get that out of the way before basketball really cranks up. And right. I mean, I thought that was once I started digging a little bit more, I mean, I think now compared to the last time that Stoops made an offensive coordinator hire, I mean, he's really kind of built his portfolio of coaches more from the NFL. You look at this staff alone, Brad White came from the NFL and then two of the uh, support staff or whatever, which I guess Jeff right. Jagodzinski or however you say his name. Right. He was in the NFL for a while, and then Greg Minuski or Minuski, however you say his name, on defense. So, I mean, that's three guys right there who spent time in the NFL. And then, of course, Matt House is back with the Chiefs. So, if you have to run something by him, I mean, he's got a decent set of contacts, I would say, to kind of run names by people. So, I could definitely see that being a more attractive option than maybe it would have been a few years ago. Yeah. I think Minuski and Waldron worked together with the Redskins for a year. Yeah. uh, If I think that's right. So. Anyway, okay. Well, we got the game. We got basketball on on Saturday. Well, and well, I got should also put a plug in, and we got the football signing date next week. So I know you guys and two four seven sports do a uh, do a heck of a job on recruiting. So everybody look for that uh, coming up. Uh, any surprises for signing day? You think or? I don't. If there are new names that pop up, uh, that would be a surprise to me. Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is that it sounds like they're going to be able to hold on to. Yeah. These wide receiver commits. I mean, Christian Lewis is having a big week uh, at the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Classic, which might be one of the only uh, All-Star games being played yeah, this year played. with the pandemic. Yeah, yeah but he's uh, he, he told uh, one of the national writers for 24-7 that he's going to sign with Kentucky next week, that he more or less has trust that Mark Stoops is going to hire an offensive coordinator to, yeah. to get somebody in there that's going to throw the ball. So I think you got to give a lot of credit to inside linebackers coach John Somerall for being able to – hold on to who I think might be their best peer wide receiver commitment in, I don't even know, 10 years or more. Really? And uh, to do that whenever UK had maybe the worst passing offense in Power 5 is a pretty big statement, I think, by him on the recruiting trail. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, okay, Derek, well, tell uh, tell the listeners where they can follow you uh, online, how they can check out your work, uh, both on uh, basketball and football. Yeah, if, uh, you can – Find my work at catspaws.com, uh, also in the issues of the Cat's Paws, which uh, those locations are all around the state where those get sent. I really don't have the list. But uh, on Twitter, you can follow me at Derek S. Terry. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Well, that's great. well, be sure and follow Derek. He does a great job, uh, and he doesn't just tweet about uh, – he, he tweets a lot <laughs> about the Reds, too. What about the Reds? 
Looks like a cost-cutting off-season for the Reds. It is. It looks like a very short uh, stay of competition. I think that they're uh, – <laughs> I'm just ready for them to tear it down. If they're going to just try to be bad and just trade everybody, if that's just what they're going to do all. instead of uh, – Yeah, I mean, I mean, I hope that maybe – I mean, deep in my heart, I, I hope that by shedding some costs with the Blazers, they'll reallocate that money to somewhere else. But part of me also thinks they'll just uh, – just save it, and that's yeah. what worries me. So, uh, who am I kidding, though, John? I'll be sitting right there watching every single game next summer, no matter how bad they are. So, <laughs> you won't be the only oh, one. You won't be the only yeah. one. So, well, listen, Derek, I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Okay, that'll do it for this edition of the John Clay Podcast. My thanks to my guest, Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune and Derek Terry of the Cats Boss. Be sure and follow their work online leading up to the game and after the game. Follow all our work online at Kentucky.com and the Herald Leader. You can follow me on Twitter at John Clay. Uh, John Clay IV on Twitter. You can send me a, an email, jclay at herald-leader.com. Uh, we'll have plenty of coverage leading up to the game. We'll have live updates during the game. I'll have my takeaways after the game, videos, all of Jerry Tipton's coverage. Look for it digitally online on Kentucky.com and in the print edition of the Herald Leader. Uh, we appreciate everybody who does that. We appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, Spotify, Tuned In, uh, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio Podcasts. Subscribe at any of those places. We really appreciate it. We certainly appreciate the ratings and review we get. That helps get the word out there. Uh, thanks again for listening to the podcast. We'll be talking to you again soon.